Father in heaven, thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to preach the gospel and hear the gospel tonight. By the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive all of our sins and allow us, Lord Jesus, to focus in on the word tonight. Not just not to simply be hearers of the word, but doers as well. By your blood, wash away all of our sins. Lord God, speak through me. Father, speak powerfully through me. And Lord, if I teach anything amiss, let it drop and go away like chaff. And forgive all of my sins. May you use this clay vessel for your glory. Speak to us tonight. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Second Samuel 13. Second Samuel 13. I'm going to read this text with you together. And then we'll go into the exposition. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Abnon, David's son, loved her. And Abnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Abnon to do anything to her. But Abnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Abnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may eat it and see it from her hand. So Abnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat it from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the cake she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took her, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother. Do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you will be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Abnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater 
than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But she, but he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying loud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Absalom, li- so Tamar lived, a desolate woman, with her brother Abs- in her brother Abs- Absalom's house. Then King David heard of all these things. He was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Abnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Ab- Abnon, because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Abnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Abnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Abnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Abnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth. And his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadad, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men and the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this had been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart, as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant says, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amiad, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead.
At the beginning of chapter 13 of 2 Samuel marks the beginning of David's turmoils for his sins of adultery and murder. Punishment began with the death of his first son from Bathsheba, but it will continue in the years to come. God's justice does not stall. In the scary but breathtaking wisdom of God, God begins to fulfill all that he spoke through Nathan the prophet. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 to 11 to read what God declared would be David's punishment. And as you read this with me, keep in mind the immense weight of certain sins, such as adultery. Here's what the text says. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Chapter 12 ended with the conclusion of the Israeli Ammonite War. It ended with Solomon's birth, David's victory over the Ammonites, and a magnificent crown placed on David's head. You would think that all is going well and the consequences of his grave sins were gone. If that's what you thought, you were probably shocked by reading the events of chapter 13. Chapter 13 probably takes place soon after the ending of chapter 12. Verse 1 simply states, after a time. King David is now at the summit of his reign and the kingdom is now secure under his rule. He has about 20 more years of kingship left, but they will be 20 years of hardship. Matthew Henry put it this way, From henceforth David was followed with one trouble after another. Adultery and murder were David's sins. The like sins among his children were the beginnings of his punishment. He was too indulgent to his children. Thus David might trace the sins of his children to his own misconduct which must have made the anguish of the chastisement worse. Amnon was David's firstborn son. He was, therefore, the potential heir to the throne. Tamar was David's daughter. Amnon and Tamar, therefore, had the same father, but different mother. Absalom was the full brother of Tamar, but the half-brother of Amnon. Absalom was Amnon's brother from another mother. Tamar and Absalom were the children of Mekah, daughter of Talamai, king of Geshur. Both siblings, namely Tamar and Absalom, are noted in the Bible for their good looks. And the name Tamar means palm tree. Tamar was a very beautiful woman. Verse 2 shows the extreme lust that filled Amnon's mind. It is important for us to learn an important lesson here. When sin enters our minds, we must quickly rid the power of sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. The longer we linger on sin in our minds, the more prone we are to act upon them. Amnon did not rid his life of sin, so much so that it began having physical manifestations. Verse 2 states that Amnon was ill because of his lust for his sister. This was a man utterly consumed by lust. 
And oftentimes, whether it be the sin of anxiety or the sin of lust, eventually we will see physical manifestations. Verse 2 states that Amnon was tormented by lust. He was not doing well. As Amnon dwelled on lust, God gave him up to his lust so that it consumed him. Let me make this clear tonight. Every single human being in New York City is being restrained by the grace of God. Was it not for God's restraining hand, there would be absolute bedlam and chaos in this city. The reason why you don't see arson and rape and pillaging all over the place is because of God's restraining hand. It is therefore apt for us to note that the Founding Fathers realized that it is only a people governed by the Christian religion through which democracy can truly succeed. People will either be governed by themselves internally because of the fear of God or they will have martial law. You see, God gave Amnon up to his lust. And it consumed him. And very soon it led to the very serious crimes of incest and rape. When you and I do not kill lust, sex becomes our idol. And it darkens everything in our lives. Just ask the porn addict or the practicing homosexual. I remember once a homosexual coming to me at church and the leaders and I sat to talk with this man. He desperately wanted to be free. But he was so addicted that although I gave him the road, I showed him the road forward to freedom. And although he claimed to be a follower of Christ, many years later I saw him again and he was, ever, he was deeper in his homosexuality than ever before. It is absolutely enslaving. Some of these sexual addicts, whether it be heterosexual sin or homosexual sin, desperately wish to be free. But they cannot seem to untangle themselves from immorality. When they look with their eyes, everything is shaded by lust. To the wicked, all things are wicked. Romans one twenty four to 25 puts it this way. It is a scary declaration. Listen to what it says. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Yes, Abnon was fully culpable for his sin of lust. Yes, the sin grew until it consumed him. But in God's sovereign and amazing way, God was the one who gave up Abnon to massive lust in order to bring punishment to David for his sin of lust. The sins of the father became the sins of the son. The apple didn't fall too far from the tree. 
What goes around comes around. Whatever trite phrase you wish to use, the point here is simple. God was the one who gave up Abnon to his lusts because God is a God of justice. We tremble as we stand before such awesome truths. I know that as a father, such truths motivate me to walk in holiness before the Lord. I have sons of my own. Yes, I love the Lord. Yes, I wish to follow His commands. But also, I obey His commands because I love my kids. And I pray that God will spare them from the sins of my own past. Amnon dishonored his body because God gave him up to the lust of his heart to impurity. God gave Amnon up to his lust. There is a point for us here today. If you're sitting here today and you're victorious over lust, if you're not in jail for rape or in an homosexual, a homosexual relationship or addicted to pornography, you, you ought to thank God. Thank God because it is by His grace He has not given you over to your lust. Thank God because it is by His grace you are walking in freedom today. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Walk in liberty. For there are many who desperately crave to be free. Many. Kill sin or sin will kill you. Just the other day, the governor of Alabama resigned from his office for committing adultery, ending over 30 years of marriage. In fact, I, I think it might have been over 50 years of marriage. Former practicing dermatologist, he's a medical doctor, served, as, served in the Air Force, governor of, this, of the state of Alabama, shamefully resigned because he used state funds to try to cover up his adultery. Kill sin or sin will kill you. What are you hiding? In the light of Christ's judgment, ask yourself, will it be worth it? Now, I want to make a point about the fact that God has changed marriage laws over time. Long ago, it was permissible to marry one's half-sister. We know, for example, that Abraham married Sarah, who was his half-sister. And if we go even further back, Adam's sons must have married Adam's daughters because there were no other human beings on the planet during the time of Adam and Eve. The age-old question, where did Cain get his wife, is quite simple to answer. He married one of his sisters. That's really it. Or perhaps one of his nieces. Yeah, by the time we arrive to 2 Samuel 13, Amnon knows that it is illegal to marry a half-sibling. Amnon knows because Tamar is the daughter of the same father. He is forbidden by Mosaic law from marrying his half-sister. Turn with me to Leviticus 18.9. 
You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You see, at the time of Moses, marriages between half-siblings were unlawful marriages. Unlawful marriages. God clearly prohibited such unions. Any unlawful marriage, if entered into, were to be immediately repented of and broken up. You were not to persist in such sin. And the same holds true for us today. When John the Baptist confronted Herod for his unlawful marriage to his brother's wife, John declared that it was unlawful for Herod to have Herodias as his wife. In other words, John was declaring to Herod that it was wrong for him to remain married to Herodias. They were to divorce the marriage immediately. If anyone came up, comes up to me and asks, where in the Bible does it say that we must terminate adulterous remarriages? Matthew 6 18 is one of the clearest texts in the, the entire Bible. John the Baptist flat out tells Herod to divorce Herodias. In our day, because of Matthew 19.9, it is unlawful to marry a divorcee. And if a person is married to a divorcee, they are to break up such a marriage immediately. John declared that to Herod. It is not lawful for you to have, present tense, your brother's wife. Jesus states that such marriages are adulteries. Therefore, such remarriages must be divorced immediately. Due to God's prohibition against incestual half-sibling marriages, Second Samuel 13.13 13 was not a true statement by Tamar. King David would have absolutely kept Tamar from Abnon. Tamar probably made the statement to get out of the situation, knowing full well that such a marriage would never receive the consent of the king. Amnon probably knew it and therefore forced himself on her. The words of verse 14 is clear. This is a rape. Additionally, therefore, verse 16 could not be referring to Deuteronomy 22:28 to 29 where the law commands the fornicated couple to marry each other and never divorce. Deuteronomy 28-29 would not apply to Tamar and Amnon because they were half-siblings. They were prohibited from marriage. Hence, Tamar is not stating that Amnon's refusal to marry her is worse than his violation of her. What is she saying? In verse 16, Tamar is simply stating that Amnon's refusal to own up to his sin and instead throw the victim, who in this case is family, out in such a disrespectful manner is worse than the sin of rape. Any sin, even rape, if repented of to God, could be forgiven. Homosexual acts can be forgiven. There is good news for every homosexual out there today. Paul makes that clear, abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you. Amnon's eviction of Tamar, however, showed a complete lack of repentance. And instead was a further act of abuse and selfishness. It is an evil of a gross nature. An evil that shows a hardened heart on an express path way to hell. 
In Tamar's view, the casting out and hatred without any remorse was worse than the initial rape. Rape could be forgiven. Abnon, unrepentant as he was, is on the pathway to hell. Verse 15 states that Abnon is filled with immense amount of evil hatred. Now after Tamar is cast out, she lives in desolation in her brother Absalom's house. Both David and Absalom are enraged by the rape. Leviticus 20.17 states the punishment for Abnon's sin as follows. Here's what it says. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace. And they shall be cut off from the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his iniquity. Any Bible commentator, therefore who takes this text and comments something along the lines of Tamar is saying to Abnon that Abnon is now obligated to marry her because of the rape has no clue what he's talking about. That kind of teaching is wrong. The consequence of Abnon's sin is not marriage to Tamar. The consequence of Abnon's sin is found in Leviticus 8.20.17. The consequence is being cut off from your people. King David, however, does nothing to his firstborn son. The absence of this discipline is an act of parental failure. Both the Dead Sea Scroll and the Septuagint add the following line to verse 21. But he did not vex the spirit of Amnon his son because he loved him because he was his firstborn. You don't have that in your Bibles. David's lack of action certainly deepened Absalom's desire for revenge. Amnon should have been cut off from his people, but instead David takes no action. Maybe it was because of his own guilty conscience. How could a man who uh, murdered and committed adultery with one of his officers, how could he judge, judge someone else of their sexual sin? Maybe, maybe that's why. Which, by the way, is the reason why I believe pastors who fall into sexual immorality could be forgiven before God if they repent, but they forever lose the pastorate. They are to be above reproach. It is very hard to speak with spiritual authority on topics uh, in which you've fallen yourself. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba not too long before Amnon's sin. And maybe that was fresh in his mind. How could he take out someone else's moat when he had a moat in his own eye? Maybe it was because his firstborn was the one who committed the crime and he didn't want to punish his firstborn, the heir apparent. Whatever the reason, David did not administer justice, and so Absalom will seek to reclaim his sister's honor through an act of murder. The application for all of us is simple. Plead the cause of the helpless, protect the weak, administer justice. David lost a young son to illness, has one of his daughters raped by one of his sons, 
and has a son murdered by another son. And you will see in future chapters, one of his own sons will then rape his wives. And then will seek to dethrone him. Trouble upon trouble comes upon David. As horrible as all this sounds, the fact is God is administering justice to David for his sins. Do you realize that? God is a God of justice. When we parent, we must be merciful, but we must also in love administer discipline when discipline is needed upon our children. God parents in that manner. He loves us. Of all the fruits in the garden you may eat, but He also follows through on His discipline. If you eat of that tree, on that day you shall die. And they died when they ate. When the priest Eli did not discipline his sons in the book of 1 Samuel, God punished Eli and it says in 1 Samuel 3.13, And I declared to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. We live in a society that tells parents not to restrain or discipline their kids. That's what Oprah said. That's what Proverbs 13.24 states. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We're not talking about child abuse here. That's wrong. I am talking about loving discipline. Because you don't want your son growing up astray. The Bible says that full two years later, Absalom kills Amnon through a carefully disguised feast. Sheep shearing, you see, was a time of feasting. And Amnon uses the occasion to disguise his true motives for requesting Amnon's presence. He does this by first requesting the king's presence. In verse 24. And I think this was expected. The denial was expected. So with the expected denial by the king, Absalom then asks for Amnon. You know how that works. Bargained before. You ask for something knowing that it's going to be denied. And then you lower your ante a little bit knowing that because you've just been denied, you probably be allowed to get your second request. That's what I think Absalom is doing here. He first asks for the king's presence. He knows the king is going to say no. So the king says no. And so he is probably not going to be inclined to deny him the presence of all the king's sons. And Absalom is right. When the king says he will not attend, Absalom asks for the attendance of the king's sons. And he specifically asks for the eldest child of the king to be present at the feast. I think this is sort of along the lines of, well, your highness, if you will not be there, would you let the heir apparent please bless us with his presence? I think it's something along those lines. King allows Abnon, therefore, to attend, and he allows all of his sons to attend. Notice that in verse 29, that all the sons of the king rode on mules. Um... 
Mules evidently were beasts of kingly significance in the days of the Old Testament, also prophetic significance. We know that Samuel, I think Samuel and his sons rode on mules. In 1 Kings 1.33, David commands Solomon to ride his own mules so that he could be declared as Israel's next king. Uh, just a, a minor point here I want you to be aware of. I've heard uh, people say, you see, Jesus was so humble, he rode in on a donkey. Uh, don't that That's wrong. He rode in on a donkey because that was to fulfill a prophecy by Zechariah. Uh, in fact... We see in multiple places, whether you want to make a distinction between a mule and a donkey, it doesn't really matter. Donkeys, mules are not, uh, in the Old Testament context, uh, humble signs. They are ridden by kings and princes and prophets. After Absalom kills Amnon through his servants, verse 37 states that he fled to Talamai, the king of Geshur. This king was Absalom and Tamar's maternal grandfather. If you're wondering why did he run there, well, that's his uh, grandfather from his mother's side. So he probably was going to be sympathetic to his grandson after what happened to his granddaughter, of course. He's going to accept his grandson. He was just defending his granddaughter's honor. And he spends three years there. Now verses 37 to 39 are explained very diversely by Bible teachers because the language is not specific. What am I talking about? Verse 37, for example, states that David mourned for his son day after day. Who? Doesn't specify which son. Who is David mourning for? Take your guess. Who's he mourning for? Honestly, I believe David is mourning for Amnon. For three reasons. Number one, Abnon was his firstborn. Number two, Abnon was now dead. Number three, even after Absalom's return, David was not enthusiastic about his return. And 2 Samuel 14.24 explicitly states that Absalom was prohibited by David from seeing David's face. Doesn't sound like a guy he misses too much. There's no reason for David to mourn Absalom. Absalom is still alive. Amnon was the one who died. Absalom was not the son, I think, that David was mourning for. So for those reasons, I think David is mourning for Amnon. Therefore, I agree with the Latin Vulgate's rendering of verse 39, in which it states that the spirit of the king ceased to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Abner. In other words, at first, David wanted to go and angrily fetch Absalom in order to punish him for the murder of his heir apparent. In time, however, David was no longer angry at Absalom about the murder of Abnon. He was comforted, it says in the text, concerning the death of Abnon. So the text seems to point towards uh, my position. 
Do you see the ending there? David was comforted concerning Amnon. So, because of that, he no longer sought Absalom's punishment. There is no question that David loved Absalom. Later you will see in a future chapter when Absalom dies in battle, David will mourn for Absalom. He loves him. But I believe that verse 37 is a reference to David's mourning for his son Abnah, and not Absalom. In closing this evening, let's go over a few points. There was a lot here tonight. First, marriage to a half-sibling was prohibited by God's law. Therefore, Abnon and Tamar would not have been permitted to wed. No way. No way. David, a man after God's own heart, would not have allowed it. Unless, of course, Tamar is thinking that David will allow Abnon to sin. But it was prohibited. Marriage to a half-sibling was prohibited by God's law. Amnon and Tamar would not have been permitted to wed. Herod Herod was in an unlawful marriage and John the Baptist commanded him to divorce Herodias. A a wedding ceremony does not permit a man to continue having a forbidden woman. In 1 Corinthians 5, a man is married to his father's wife. And the Apostle Paul calls for an immediate break up of the marriage and in fact kicks the man out of the church. In the name of Jesus, unlawful marriages are not true marriages and must be broken immediately. We who have been saved by grace shall not continue to dwell in sin. Remarriage after divorce was declared by Jesus to be adultery. Hence, remarried couples are to immediately divorce after their remarriages. It is not lawful for them to have each other. In 1 Corinthians 7, Jesus says, Paul informs us that Jesus said, Jesus instructed divorcees to either stay single or to reconcile with their spouses. Jesus never permitted remarriage in any circumstance. The second thing we learn today is that rape is a horrible sin, but unrepentant lust that burns will pave the road to hell. As horrible as a sin rape is, a genuinely repentant man who turns to Christ can be forgiven. Unrepentant lust, however, which burns, is paving the way to hell. Jesus said it's better to lose your eye than to burn in hell. Remember that? Third, fathers have a moral obligation to discipline their sinning children. We learn that when fathers do not discipline, not only does the child become worse with each passing year, but the Lord also disciplines the father for not discharging his duties as a faithful father. Do not look elsewhere, men. It is your obligation to discipline the home and the children in your home. And if you don't, one of God's judgment upon your family will be internal strife within the family. It will be a dysfunctional family. Fourth, the crime of rape ought to be punished. But but it ought to be punished by civil government, your community, your peers, law enforcement. 
not through personal acts of murder. Let me say that one more time. The crime of rape ought to be punished by the government, but not by personal acts of murder. Fifth and last, grave sin has grave consequence. David's sin of adultery is now being punished. The Apostle James put it this way, when sin is conceived, it bears forth death. And that's what you see in David's life. We moan and groan with David as we read this chapter. It is a hard chapter to read, let me tell you. Someone who sought the Lord with all his heart on many occasions, but boy, oh boy, did he fall. And, 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 and you know, sin, let me just tell you something. Sin is not something you could keep in a nice, clean box. Sin impacts family members, societies, friends, communities. I mean, just look at the AIDS epidemic. Entire nations are impacted. As you will see in next week's Bible study, Amnon's death is just the beginning of the evil that will fall upon David's house. Tonight, if you are living in sin, I urge you to repent and turn to Christ. David suffered for his sins, but I want to share with you tonight that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross for all of your sins. God, as we saw today, is a holy and righteous judge who will judge justly. We are all sinners who deserve eternal punishment in hell. But the good news is that God loved you so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, to live a sinless life of obedience. And after living without sin, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. Three days later, He historically resurrected from the grave. So that if you would repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior, you shall have eternal life. Now what does that mean? That means if you're in a homosexual relationship tonight, Jesus is offering you a chance. Wherever you are, wherever you are listening to the sound of my voice tonight, God is giving you a chance. Forsake your sin and turn to Christ. But you must repent. If you're sleeping with another man's wife, if you're in a remarriage, if you are remarried to a divorcee, wherever you are tonight, it is not lawful for you to have that woman, the Bible says. Forsake that marriage and turn to the Lord. It might be a lonely road, but Christ will be with you and it is far better to be lonely than to burn in hell. If you're fornicating tonight with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, the Bible wants you to know that God offers you forgiveness, a chance. Forsake your sin. Stop the fornication. Come out of that relationship and turn to Christ. Repent and believe in Jesus. He offers forgiveness and eternal life. Turn to Christ.
His hands, his nail-scarred hands, are open to anyone who is willing to repent and turn to him in faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for the Bible study.